just uh, a couple of weeks ago in preparing, you know, that song that says, let every heart prepare him room. And I really wanted to take some time to really listen to God and hear from him. And so I've been listening to some podcasts of different people from around the world speaking about Christmas. And I was listening to one from a pastor called Levi Lusco in America. And uh, he shared this story and and I really want to bring these thoughts to you today because they really moved me and it was different and it made me think a lot about Christmas and what it means. So today I'm inviting you to the Christmas table. Have you got yours prepared? I'm sure this is, becomes a feature of the homes, doesn't it? We set up our tables so that our families can celebrate around them together. And you all have different ways of setting up your table, but some people take a lot of preparation. Some people set them up weeks before, ready for Christmas. I mean, I don't. My table's not set, but um, well, it's set here. So this will this will do this will do just fine, won't it, days? This will be lovely. We could just stay here and celebrate afterwards. It'll all be good. Good. So today we're thinking about the Christmas table. So I'm going to take a seat at the table and um, think about what it means. I think the table speaks of family. Uh, the heart of the home where you get together, isn't it? The table where you eat together and you spend time together. And you know, research shows that things improve for families who spend time together and eat together at the table especially when they turn the TV off and uh, they eat and talk without um, interruption or distraction. Christmas is also about family. And Christmas is God inviting you and me into his family. And Christmas is God doing everything necessary for us to have a seat at his table. You know, that was what was lost in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, we forfeited the right to friendship with God. When they were with God right at the beginning, they walked with him in the cool of the day. They had friendship with him face to face. But because of sin, they forfeited that. It was lost. And it's been lost for us too. And what Christmas does is it seeks to return that and the promise for Christmas was given to, the, um, to Mary when the angel announced that she would bear the Son of God and that he would be called Jesus. Jesus, which means God saves. Because of Christmas, everything that had been taken from us would be returned. It would be restored so that we could once more sit at his table. So to help us understand this, I'm going to refer to a story in the Old Testament. Now you're going to think, why is Pam using this story on Christmas morning? It's from 2 Samuel chapter 9. It doesn't sound like a Christmas story, but stay with me and I think you'll come to understand its relevance. Let's look at 2 Samuel 9. We're going to look at verses 1 to 13. Verse 1. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. So in this story, we have a cast of characters. And we hear right in the first verse, we're introduced to three of them. We're introduced to Saul, who was the king of Israel. We're introduced to Jonathan, who is Saul's son. And we're introduced to David, who is Jonathan's best friend. He's also the king's son-in-law. And he is to be the future king of Israel. Now, of course, that's the problem in the story because Saul wants his line to have the kingship. 
and you know, to come out of his line. But when, because he was disobedient to God, it was taken from him and given to David. And so Saul is very angry with David and he's actually out to kill him. Now, Jonathan, being David's best friend, accepted and acknowledged that he was God's chosen man for being king. And it wasn't going to be him, even although he was next in line to the throne. And so when he was speaking to David, and David was about to leave because he had to run, be on the run away from Saul. And when he was speaking to David, he asked him to promise that he would look after his family after he died. David made that promise to Jonathan. And from that moment forward, we don't know if David and Jonathan ever saw each other again because David was on the run. And David was hiding in caves on the run from Saul for 10 years. And in this time, it's interesting to note, this is just an aside, it's interesting to note that during this time he wrote most of the Psalms, which tells us that some of the most precious things can come out of some of the most darkest moments of your life. Because God is with you and he promises that he will be with those whose hearts are breaking. So if it's hard for you right now, do what David did. Turn it to praise. Because through that you will experience something powerful. Take heart if you're going through something hard. Because we have the book of Psalms which was written because David was in that season of difficulty and challenge in his life, which lasted for over 10 years. But out of that today, we appreciate and enjoy the word of God in the Psalms. Anyway, back to the story. We're up to verse two. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, if anyone... Sorry, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you would show kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Zebra and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Zebra replied, Yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. 
And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. So here we have the fourth character, Mephibosheth. You try saying that lots of times. See how you go. Now, Mephibosheth was born while David was on the run from Saul. So he didn't really know about him. Jonathan probably, he probably didn't see Jonathan's post on his Facebook page because he was hiding out in the caves. And this doesn't seem like a Christmas story, but I think this is exactly what we need to understand if we are going to go into Christmas with the right frame of mind, because you and I are Mephibosheth. What do I mean? Well, firstly, life hadn't gone according to plan for him. If we're to understand the Christmas story, we need to understand that life hasn't gone according to plan. God created us as humans to have relationship with him, to have this beautiful friendship that we would enjoy in the world that he gave us, which was perfect and beautiful. That was the plan. But because of sin, we fell away from that relationship. We were separated from God. And so he had to send a saviour. There was a need for a saviour to rescue us. And that's why Jesus came. And I'm sure that at some time or other in your life, everything hasn't gone according to plan. Maybe it was in your career. You had a certain plan in mind and it hasn't gone exactly as you've imagined. Or maybe sickness has come into your family and that wasn't expected. Maybe family breakdown. Or, you know, when you were young, you fell in love and married, but things didn't work out. Maybe there's been failure in your life and you feel ashamed of it. Things don't always go according to plan. And for Mephibosheth, he was five years old when his father died. And on the same day, his grandfather, King Saul, died. And suddenly, overnight, he was a young prince, second in line to the throne. But now... The dynasty has changed and there's a new king. David is being crowned king. Life hadn't gone according to plan. So secondly, Mephibosheth was in danger and he had nowhere to run. When David asked if there are any relatives of Saul alive, what everyone assumed that was David wanted, because Saul had tried to kill David, um, they just assumed David would want to get the relatives and, and you know, destroy them so that they wouldn't be any threat to him and his throne. So when Mephibosheth comes to David, he actually comes believing that he's going to be executed. That's why the first thing David said to him was, don't be afraid. Now, where have you heard that before? It's in a story about another king who was born in Bethlehem. In Luke 2 verse 9, it says, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. For I bring you great news. You see, this story that we're looking at this morning echoes the greatest story ever told. This person who is in great danger, had nowhere to run, finds mercy at the hand of a good king who shows him kindness. There was no reason for David to do this. It was not normal to, um, to be kind to the threat to your throne. Usually you would consolidate your power and eliminate any threats. So why are we like Mephusheth? Because we have a good king who wants to show us kindness. 
we too are in danger. You see, in Romans 3.23, it says, we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And it goes on then in Romans 6.23 to say, and the penalty of that sin is death. We're in danger. Where can we go? But the good news is that God's gift to us is eternal life through Jesus. This means that when we stand before God, there are two possible outcomes for our future, death or life, hell or heaven. But God is a good king who seeks out to show us his kindness and that's what Christmas is. That's what Christmas is. God intruding into this world to show us kindness. His coming into this world was to stop us being exposed to danger and to show kindness to us. So you see, Christmas is actually a rescue mission. It's God's way of saving us from a life that is lost and an eternity that is anything but good. In fact, full of nothing but agony. The kindness of a king who would come to rescue us from all of that and give us a life full of promise and hope. That's Christmas. I'm just going to move my place on the table. Drop the fork while I'm doing it. You know, the reason that um, you and I are like Mephibosheth is because he was given a seat at the royal table. David said to Mephibosheth, no, I'm not going to execute you. What I want to offer you is a place, a room in my palace. In fact, if you want, you can have your old room back. From now on, this is going to be your place at my table, Mephibosheth. You will be my son and you will sit here with me and enjoy all the benefits of being a part of the royal family. So here is Mephibosheth in Jerusalem. Now he's come from Lodabar. This is important to understand. Lodabar means no pasture. The animals in Lodabar had very little to eat. They struggled to find enough food. But now Mephibosheth has left Lodabar and he's come to Jerusalem, to David's house, to the king's table. And here at this table, he has more food than he can possibly want lavishly prepared for him and the opportunity to enjoy the best part of life that is happening around the table. Good food, real relationships, rich life. That's Christmas. God wanting you to have that with him and his people. And Christmas shows the extreme length that he will go to to make that happen. What did it take for God to get us around this table? It took God's own son being willing to be born in a stable. That's Christmas. Jesus being born in a barn. That's Christmas. Jesus being born amidst the filth. That's Christmas. Jesus being born surrounded by animals and then living a life where he was doubted, he was rejected, he was ridiculed, mocked and hated. And then dying 
surrounded by criminals on a cross. But rising again and ascending into heaven and then sending his Holy Spirit into this world to seek you out, to invite you to the city, to leave Lodabar and to come to the city. And it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you good things. It's because he wants to be your father. It's because he wants you to be his son. And he wants you to be his daughter. That's why he invites us to the Christmas table. That's why he's prepared it all for us. He's done everything that he could possibly do so that we could become a part of that. And you know what the best part of it all is? Is that when Mephibosheth sits at the table, up until now he's felt like an outcast because he's crippled. He couldn't get around and people made fun of him. But you know, when he's seated at the table, no one can see the fact that he's crippled. He's just like everybody else. When he's at the table, he is just one of the king's sons. You see, his condition was hidden by his position at the table. And it's the same for us. What I'm saying to you is that your history does not have to determine your destiny. And when you come to Jesus, everything that's been is hidden because you become a son of God, a son of the King of Kings. And I believe that there is someone here today that needs to hear this and to respond. Today can be your last day in Lodabar. Today can be the day where you accept the invitation to come to the table and receive the promise that Jesus has for you, a promise of hope and passion and the life of Christ alive in you. What do you have to do? Two things. You have to be humble. You have to actually realise that you can't do it on your own. Religion is actually you trying to do what's enough to please God. That's not what it's about. It's actually realising that we can't do anything. You know how many people will be in heaven because of their own efforts? Zero. None. The only people who will be in heaven will be those who are there because of Jesus. And the only way we can get to heaven is by being humble and admitting that we can't do it on our own. By saying like Mephibosheth, who am I that you would show kindness to me? And then you have to take a seat at the table, realising you can't do it yourself and accept the invitation You know, Mephibosheth could have felt so bad about himself that he just went back to Lodabar. But he had to choose to accept the king's invitation to sit at his table. And God is inviting you. He invites all of us to accept this invitation and to sit down with him at his table. You see, the promise of Christmas isn't about being naughty or nice. It's actually about dead people coming to life. It says in Ephesians, God who is rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
When we accept the invitation and sit at the table, he raises us up. And we get to sit in heavenly places even while we're on this earth. And what that means is that we get to be part of his kingdom now, right now. We get to be part of the team that goes to Lodabar and finds the next Mephibosheth. Because once you're in the family, you have the right to extend the invitation to the table to anyone. You're part of the family. You can invite whoever you want to over for dinner. And you know, this table needs to be extended. And our job is to keep adding extensions so that the whole world will know how great God is and can experience the grace of God. That's Christmas. And so my question to you is this morning, have you accepted his invitation? Have you realised you can't do it on your own and you'll decide to accept the invitation to sit down at the king's table? Or perhaps you sat there once, but you've walked away. And he's saying, why don't you come back? There's no pasture at Lodabar. Come back and sit at my table and experience the fullness of life that I offer you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness, that you would love us enough to seek us out and to do everything possible, the, everything that you had to do, which was the, most, the ultimate cost of giving your son so that we could have a place at the table, so that we could have life forevermore. We thank you for this story that reminds us And it helps us to understand what Christmas really means. It means that we can sit at your table as your son or daughter for eternity. What an incredible offer. What a great invitation. And Lord, I pray that today each of us will take you up on it. And that we will respond to your invitation to be a part of your family. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe there's someone here this morning, I just don't want to leave, we've got a a couple of minutes left. Maybe someone here this morning is saying, you know what, I really want that. I want to respond to that invitation. I want to come and sit at the table. I want my past to be hidden and gone, forgiven. I want to leave Lodabar, I don't want to stay there anymore. I want to be here. Well, if you are that person, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite you all to pray it with me. And so we can support anyone here this morning that may want to pray that prayer for the first time. Because I believe this is the day, a day of life and hope and everything that can give us what we need for for eternity. So can we just pray and repeat this prayer after me? And if you're responding to this invitation, then as you pray this prayer, this is your way of accepting his invitation to the Christmas table. Let us pray. Dear God, I know I am a sinner. I can't fix myself, but I believe you can. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. I give you my heart. Forgive me and make me new. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.